You're listening to The Razor's Edge, an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor, trader, short seller, and deep dive researcher for the last two decades plus, and me, Daniel Schwartzman, who's worked in investing media the last decade while managing my own stocks. We break down investing themes or ideas and speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. Reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. You can subscribe to Akram's The Razor's Edge newsletter at the-razors-edge.ghost.io. The link is in Akram's Twitter profile. Here's our disclosure. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions and any stocks discussed in the introduction to a given episode. Hey, it's Daniel. It's been a while. Sorry about that. No specific reason, but we've both been working on things. Akram's got plenty of posts at his subscription service, The Razor's Edge on Ghost.io. Google Razor's Edge Ghost and you'll find it if you want to stay tuned to what he's working on. He's also been hosting a ton of spaces on Twitter if you ever want to check in. Just go to Twitter on the phone and you'll see it most easily if you're following him on Twitter. I've got a project I might share in a couple weeks, though I should say it's more targeted at beginning investors, so it might not be suitable for the sophisticated Razor's Edge audience. Anyway, since we last talked more than three months ago, a lot has happened. What's probably most relevant is the excitement around generative AI epitomized by NVIDIA's earnings report of a couple weeks ago, as well as the QQQ being up 34% year-to-date as we kick off the first full week of June. AI, artificial intelligence, is different from blockchain, or metaverse, or Web3, or even the acceleration of digitalization we saw at the beginning of COVID. Still, is the hype fully merited? Is this just going to be one waterfall effect of positivity for tech and the market as a whole? How should we get our heads around the market opportunity? That's what we talk about on today's episode. We recorded this last Friday in the wake of a strong jobs report for May and as another big rally unfurled, and we tried to frame this AI run and put it in context. I hope you'll enjoy it. Disclosures, I'm long Dropbox, Apple, Mosaic, and through my VMware shares, essentially Broadcom. Akram is along Boeing, Mosaic, and Qualcomm. Here we go. Akram, how's it going? Good. Long time. It's been a long time. Been a long getting time. The band, getting the band back together. <laughs> it's been a it's been a busy time in the markets too, right? We've got a maybe the band has been held out because we were we were testing to see if yeah. we could replace us with GPT. If we could. The bear markets. Bear markets over. Bear the bull market. Feels like it. Feels like it. Some days. Um, well, the bear market. If you own anything that's uh, not technology stock. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I I said, I I don't think I've said this on the podcast before, but I I tweeted recently that it feels like a market where it's either an over earning cyclical trading at six times earnings, or it's a tech company that fell eighty percent last year and is up a hundred percent this year, and you don't know. And it still hasn't hit bottom in its business. That's like yep. it's, that's a very good way of putting it. It's, it's one pitfall or another, and you just gotta have to be careful about it. But yeah, I mean that's like kind of an interesting element to it, as far as the people who are focused on, uh, I guess, the Fed. Having this conversation yesterday, uh, it's like you know, rate hikes stop. It's not good for it's not it's, it's probably a catalyst for tech stocks to fall. Well, it's just it generally correlates with like bad times in the market and like it's not a good sign. There, you know, well, people argue that both ways. Right. Like the first rate hike, the, the end of the rate hiking is like the acknowledgement of uh, economic weakness uh, becoming more substantial. Uh, or a concern, but I I think in this case it would just it would be like a catalyst for 
you know, because the flows have gotten so like the disparity between them is so drastic. You know, I mean, obviously, tech stocks are benefiting from money coming out of everything else, like from an allocation standpoint, because everything else really has gotten pretty bad. And if you were to kind of hit that that point, like where it's like, all right, like there's going to be some some accommodation or the let's say the end of tightness, it would incentivize buying some of the stuff that's been totally wrecked on the macro. And if that was to happen, like the money has to come out of where it's been flowing into at like an accelerating you know pace so it would like i would just view it as like a catalyst to trigger a you know like a sell-off an apple and like maybe somebody goes and buys target or something i don't know you're not you're not in the pga refilling bandwagon as a more immediate you know, we've, you know we're recording this the jobs report just came out pretty strong and obviously the debt ceiling bill going to be passed and there's been that Wow, the debt ceiling! Now they gotta start issuing, issuing bonds more actively, and thus sucking more money away from the rest of the market. You're not, you're not propounding that thesis. I mean, I think you can view that as like a technical factor. I mean, I think there's like a bunch of little technical factors here. I think there's the whole quantitative dynamic as well that just amplifies any move. So like. Uh, you know that's pretty pretty clear in these uh, let's call it big tech and semis. I mean, big tech and semis, and some of software. Uh, software still continues to have like a a wider band of outcomes, but like you know, big tech and chips has just been like one move in one direction. Well, and that's you know, I, I joked about it, but we haven't. It would seem to me that the driver still is excitement over generative AI. NVIDIA's report was an actual bombshell sort of report, not just use of AI in the in the script or whatever, but actually big revenue number in their guidance and so on. And I guess the first thought, like, where do you... I want to get into more second level stuff about this, but just from a first level, like that, it seems like there's something here. And at the same time, it doesn't seem like something that can be moving quite this fast. What do you make of like, whether you want to talk about NVIDIA or just the general trend behind them having such a strong quarter? Like, what do you, what do you make of what's I mean, driving the tech rally? Like there, it was like kind of an unknown and like, as. Look, you knew it was going to be beneficial to Dan and Setter. You didn't know how much and how fast. And those questions were answered on that call. Let's just call it as far as uh, uh, the guidance. Um, now, we don't really know, by the way, because then like this is this stuff really probably won't be very linear. So, like, it could be a couple quarters of this, and you know, then it really cools off. Uh, of course, that's also now an unknown. But I mean, if you go back to, I mean, I did some work on it last fall. And it was just like, how's this, like, what would 2024, 2023 look like? And I mean, I had a very high degree of, I mean, part of actually what kept me out of, you know, this group of people who, you know, as it started getting going, uh, uh, shorting the stock was that like the way you would model 2023 seemed so obvious right like i actually had them like a couple billion below consensus for 2023 because i was just like these and this was before the step function change right so you're talking a couple billion below the numbers that already got obliterated right and the rationale was easy like i mean gaming uh doesn't look good 
you know, like you didn't really have to be a, a, a somebody who's like making a bold prediction to be like, all right, gaming is going to look like this. The, the trickier part was because of supply chain, like how you model data center and like the, I guess to me, the risk in it uh, for not wanting to remotely mess with it from a short standpoint, like, you know, after it had like that first, like 50, 60% move was that the first half would be better in data center and that you're kind of just betting on the second half. So why not wait? Uh, also, I like semis from a macro standpoint from like October. I just like, you know, I felt like they would climb because every single semi was having the same inventory issues. So like you just knew that there was a discounting trade on like where it was bottom, right? And the stock's bottom, you know, six months usually in these cycles uh, before the semiconductor company's actual business is bottom. So, you know, you have many earnings where like, you know, everyone's like the trough is here, you know, Micron's had predictions on it. Uh, uh, several of the bigger supplier names were like, we think, you know, by Q2, uh, TSM, you know, talking about their back half of the year and like where they saw, you know, order bottoms, et cetera. And they all continued to miss that, right? Like from when the rally started three months later, uh, you know, things got a, a, a little worse again. So you were just thinking, okay, here, you know, what's going to happen? But like in the, in this window, uh, you know, chat GPT mania started. I mean, if we want to call it like it started in like, let's say December, the early part of it, but like by February, it was chat GPT mania. Right. So by like by February, you knew that the NVIDIA thesis for 2023, that, you would have been modeling in October of 2022 kind of was useless. It just was a question of like how useless. And I mean, in terms of just, you know, quantifying, assessing the impact. I mean, of course you could have gone long. I mean, like uh, it just became a momentum trade, but it was easy not to short it. There's like, you know, 5,000 stocks to choose from. You're not going to do one where like, you just don't know what the impact is right for something so important to their business you know it's positive you just don't know how positive how fast right and then you get this guidance which is like 55 percent sequential growth you know for a company of that size which a lot of people are like oh my god never seen anything like this in there but i mean like this is this is the semiconductor business if there's a gold rush for hardware right i, I mean i've seen it by the way in many other uh chip businesses, but also importantly, commodity businesses when this happens. You know, it's no different than like a frac sand boom. Mellanox went through it with the Intel Romley in 2011 or 12 or whatever it was, uh, where there's just like one provider. I mean, you can say like COVID for like Arista has been like that. Like there's many examples where uh, they just fly, you know, demand is just soaring in a very short time period for a hardware vendor uh and that really that really worked in the way you know commodity booms work well of course you know when i was this commodity boom you think commodity bust afterwards but like i mean in this sense uh as you can see from you know amd who reported other chip companies who reported even broadcom who reported last night right and they have a, a, a very decent size semi-custom business and like you can see that like it's not a needle mover in their you know uh in the reported financials not that the stock market is scared you know the stock made in you know new high uh, uh over a month ago right uh and then like you know it had kind of this craziness this week i mean you know it hit like what like over 900 it's now what seven something seven eight ish uh, this morning. Yeah, so like it's just been like really elevated volatility. There's a ton of shitty chip stock. I mean, there's a couple I think that are just legitimate AI losers who, 
you know, were struggling during the chip rally, who now have had like a, whatever you want to call it, 50, 60, 70% pop, you know, in four or five weeks. So you've got like that going on. Well, let's, uh, let me, let me jump in. Just, uh, we don't need to go totally into the whole s- semiconductor ecosystem, but I think, and you know, back, if people want to listen, we have a few, we have a few interviews we did with people in the AI space in 21, I want to say, but that are, I think still pretty relevant, but like when we think about, we talk about semiconductors is all one thing, yeah. but, but there's obviously Cerebrus is hot. We had them on Naveen's startup mosaic is hot. Yeah. Uh, we had Am- them on. Amper was, like, the, was the other one. Yeah. Amper looks like it's they're in a great spot. The arm IPO looks like time perfectly. You know, I mean, it couldn't be better there. I mean, you know, good for those guys now. Um, like that's the that's the place to be right now. Yeah, but there's like there's you know when we talk semiconductors, like you mentioned, Micron. Micron's mostly exposed to DRAM, which I, I'm going to speak out of my head, and then you can correct me. I don't think I don't think they have a on a direct exposure to this. There's one of the things that I've benefited from is the trends. Electro, uh, silicon and carbide has been a big trend that has powered some like a subsector of this. But when we're talking about NVIDIA has their advantage because of GPUs and because because those are important for the processing of high volumes of compute. And then they've got their software around it, which helps with the AI and so on. But like this can't benefit. And this is where I'll get to my broader question next. But like this increased more use of computer compute is generally good i guess for semiconductors but this can't be just a one-way street win i would think like this is gonna have this isn't this isn't just one tailwind it is a a specific type of technology the the artificial intelligence models and so like llms and so on that is well first thing i mean it's a split right like this is really trading focused right now because Everybody's pretty competitive on inferencing. So, it, it, you, I mean, and part of the reason, by the way, like you, you wouldn't make an argument really for Micron here is like you can't fit these things on local memory, these, these huge models, which is why you have like why Chat GPT 5 or whatever is being traded by, you know, 25,000 or 30,000 GPUs, right? Network together. So it's like it's the networking. It's the software stack that allows you to take a model, you know, the libraries, uh, he highlighted it, you know, their Magnum library for this large training, uh, the Doka stack or whatever for the networking, like he, he called them the, the crown jewels, right, of NVIDIA, like, he was like people are not aware of this. And that, that's kind of been their edge. Did a space with James. He just pointed out like it's kernel optimizations. It's like a very manual process that gives NVIDIA its edge, and it's just like not something the others, you know, big tech has focused on. Uh, there has been some progress recently. Uh, both Cerebras and AMD demonstrated like, you know, I think they they trained like a 13 billion plus parameter model uh, on their hardware, so to show that you can do that, which is like where the nvidia what like what the nvidia game really is about so where nvidia sees this disproportionate demand which is why you didn't see a guidance like this out of amg and there's obviously they're not in the gpu space uh and they're losing share but like you know why intel reported a quarter with 50 percent decline in server unit shipments right and their data center business is now smaller on a run rate than nvidia's it's the training and that's like yeah i mean like it actually is disproportionately just benefiting one company so i guess the pushback would be i disagree with you or or the what do you want to call it uh the evidence so far says that you're wrong, right? Like that, sorry, not even that you're wrong, that that, that assumption is wrong. 
which is kind of interesting seeing as how everything has rallied, right? Now, what's imputed in this is that other people are going to catch up and that it's a larger, you know, secular driver growth market. So, mm, discount everything and everybody will benefit, right? And that this will catalyze the, you know, a new cycle in technology. <sighs> My gut instinct tells me that's not what, how it's going to happen. This is deflationary for software. Like the other argument, you know, like you saw ARC make the whole uh, uh, $1, you know, in semiconductor capex should translate into $8 in uh, software revenue. Right, like a multiplier effect. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't even know how you, you come up with that. But they're just basically saying that, like, these companies would not invest in this if they didn't expect. You know, you don't invest one dollar without tens of billions. Uh, what tens of billions in software uh, in hardware without expecting hundreds of billions in revenue software revenue. I just don't think that's true. I think this is kind of like an upgrade. You know, to the existing software infrastructure, you know, whether it's embedded into your uh, <laughs> Gmail or embedded into your office suite or embedded into your Slack or embedded into whatever, right? Like that, that's really kind of how I think about it. I mean, I'm sure in some areas down the road, it's going to progress further, but like kind of in this initial stage, you know, it's like, a generative fill function inside Adobe Photoshop, you know, like, and if Adobe Adobe Photoshop does not put that in there, right? You know, there's going to be a bunch of startups who try to offer it as a business model, you know, to one day be the Adobe Photoshop, because you know, build it from the ground up and call it, you know, generative AI based. Uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, a, a generative creative AI suite, you know? But like, that's the whole point. Part of it isn't, like if it's going to be used by a human, there's a, the generative part has like a very narrow scope in what it does, whether it's chat bots or, you know, art or whatever, or the ability to generate copy, right? Complete, complete future unwritten seasons of succession, as the as yeah Jason Calvin I mean, expect for like the way these models work, right? Is it's just trying to predict that like next word flash, you know, with a high degree of accuracy, and then like that you know extrapolating that to a sentence, you know, and then to you know an entire paragraph and you know a whole paper right and you 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 use like you mean now there's some getting up to trillion plus parameters of data right and then you just do the weighting and like goals to just get better and better and better and better predicting what is the next word that should follow <laughs> yeah and it's i i've heard it most powerfully like i've struggled to really get more than trivial utility out of it but i've heard of people who have figured out how to do it where they have specific software coding problems to solve and then because ChatGPT is trained on those parameters it can it can come up with solutions it can cobble together those solutions more effectively than they would have found by googling and digging around i'm still you know i was talking, I, i'm working on like a wordpress site and finding google is still more useful for me than chat gpt as a tool but but I think so. I was saying that about semiconductors, but it, you kind of got at it a little bit with software. But I think that's what's so. I, I pulled since Nvidia's report a couple of weeks ago, the Nvidia's up about thirty percent. The Sox semiconductor ETFs up about twelve and a half percent, and the Nasdaq is up about six percent. So there's some different, and obviously part of that is Nvidia probably has more weight in Sox than it does in QQQ. So that's part of what's going on, but there's still a lot of optimism, like you said, about 
what that multiplier that Arc came up with. And it seems to me like at some point, as with every new technology, even if AI goes really, really fast in bringing a lot of productivity to the world, that's going to come at the cost at at some, like that money doesn't emerge from nowhere. It, there's going to be some trade-offs, either some switch in spending or some longer development costs or some failures. Or so. Like it, it seems like there's such a, I tend to always be skeptical of rallies of like booms, boomlets like this. And AI, I think, is the most real, real world important of the recent ones, whether it's metaverse or crypto or whatever else that we've had a little runs. But they're like, how I guess, how are you when you're 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 reading a lot about this, you're looking at different things, like how are you sizing up? The potential for how winners and losers actually shake out or how to like get a sense of where i think the the i think the winner part is really hard beyond big tech right but like you should just be making the you know the assumptions that it does this works this is great for microsoft adobe uh amazon's businesses right that's kind of like an obvious conclusion here. Because they purpose. have such a big user base or whatever you want to yeah. describe. It. I mean, so it's even, easy even to... like there's like, I think Google, you know, people like, you know, it's, it's more debated because of the search element to it. But like Microsoft is obviously leveraging it for enterprise search. So like they have customers now doing the knowledge bases on their website, you know, with a chat GPT AI, uh, API, right? Uh, and then you go like, you know, beyond that, you know, Amazon with Alexa and how that will work with shopping. And I guess Apple eventually, like, you know, it may be a catalyst for a new round of phones with neural accelerators uh, that are, you know, more efficient for handling this type of processing with, you know, locally versus just taxing the, the, the network. Uh, but Adobe, obviously, Photoshop, you know, Microsoft Office, uh, and then like, you know, all these software companies uh, outside of that, I'd say, like, I mean, I'd say the primary argument in the in the main players is that it just makes them stickier, right, as a leader. That's really the takeaway. It's easier for them uh, to it, implement and, and to add to their yeah, the, like it's, the, it's not like a new category of like you know well, we went from on-premise right to to cloud-based and like you then like you know in the transition of that like you started getting these like kind of native SaaS companies that like emerged because of the shift of software to being natively cloud you know continuous delivery continuous integration like this doesn't create like a new category there right like in fact like it kind of ramps up the possibility that whoever is sitting, you know, at the top right now, uh, what what you may have been doing, you know, on the edges, which you considered your own space in software, is no longer a space. Like it actually can be removed slash automated away uh, uh, by LLMs, you know, via integrations and you know, smarter search, right? These types of things. But for the rest of them, it's kind of, I'd say like an add-on, right? That like, it's a cost center initially for them, but it will make them stickier, you know? And I guess down the road, uh, it's a revenue driver, but for it to really be, I mean, like the whole thing here is, it's about humans being able, able to interact with machines contextually, right? Like it's more, I mean, LLMs are an interface UX solution, right? More so than like a separate category uh, of software, right? So like you're essentially augmenting what's happened. We already had this trend that was starting in software to, towards vendor consolidation. Like, hey, you're, you're not a platform, you're a feature, right? And like what differentiates you from X? Like, you know, can you really be standalone or does like service now start handling this or does so-and-so start doing this, right? That part of it. So 
and we've, I mean, I touched on this when I wrote that once upon a time in tech, you know, because everything is networked together and in cloud software, like everybody kind of has like uh, the ability to look to the left and to the right and, and see what's gaining traction and where maybe they need to expand their feature to make their core stickier because the person who starts with something that's just viewed as a really nice feature then has to try to expand, right? Like if you're just, if you're just, uh, you know, like t- take PagerDuty, you know, like if you started out with on call and then like you kind of want to broaden it to like broader incident resolution and then like you kind of want that to look more like a service desk and then you kind of want that to be called like AI ops, right? And like, at the very same time, you've got Atlassian, ServiceNow, et cetera, with service desks who kind of want to go, like, everybody kind of bounces up against each other. Um, and I think that's where the challenges are. Market's having a good day. Yeah. The rally continues. Rally. But, yeah. But, I mean, from an investing standpoint, I haven't really been playing anything long. Uh, I added Qualcomm from the chip side. For the rest of it, it's like, you know, uh, I I really have done nothing as far as like an AI play. I've been very cognizant of trying to avoid anything on the short side that remotely has narrative there. You know, I think that's the, that's the real way uh, uh, to play it. So like, if you're just thinking, if you're a long, short person, manager, individual with a portfolio, uh, you should definitely be wary of anything that you're short because in a moment like this, like you're not really investing in what like the company is right now but like what people may try discounting, it could be based off of this trend, right? And you can call bullshit on it, but like it's a bit early, right? Now there's been losers, you know, short some chag, you know, wish I'd been way crazier with that. And, you know, like that was one, you know, I called out, I mean, even like half jokingly since I spent so much time on it in the past, but like I was like, you know, a guy got long chat GPT by shorting check. <laughs> it actually turned out to be that obvious. It's just sort of in a monster position. Uh, but the dynamic with this is you don't really need to make extreme decisions, right? In an environment like this, a lot of flux. So, like, let's say you own some good. I mean, the people right now with big tech stocks are super happy, right? They're just like, yeah, I got it right, you know. Uh, and, and of course, nobody kind of anticipated the market would go through this. And there's like a lot of what's going on in the market. There's like some really serious macro dynamics here, right? Like, this is has all the makings of an extreme, like one of the most extreme bear market rallies ever, uh, because of like how much growth has slowed down but there was there was always a debate around the covid hangover that like you should not be extrapolating the covid hangover you know out to infinity right like part of it is you know essentially giving back this like pull forward type of uh, growth rate change you don't really know what things look like on the other side of it now odds are based on history that like the next couple of years are a slog and that will come back into the market, you know, particularly when the, the, the rallies are this violent and this fast. Right. But I mean, part of the market is catching or navigating these types of moves, you know? So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big part of the market. So like you can sit there and be like, well, I mean, I mean, look at the move Facebook's had and like really not much has changed in how Facebook is modeled. You know, there's a ton of people who are like, ah, oh, you know, this on Facebook, that on Facebook. I mean, Netflix, okay, fine. Like, you know, 
went from like 700 million to 4 billion in free cash flow, right? In terms of the consensus uh, as the stock really took off. So it's got like, it's had kind of the same run as Facebook. I mean, there started in like July of last year, June. Uh, but Facebook's run, you know, from November to here, you know, has been against the backdrop of like, you know, flattish growth. You know, I mean, uh, even on the cost side, I mean, he's called it the year of efficiency or whatever, but it's not like, uh, it's not like you've, you've gone back to like where you were in like 2019 or 2020. They just been hiring like no tomorrow and like, you know, did enough layoffs to offset that growth, uh, you know, recently, but from a core business standpoint, I mean, like this is one where it's just like, all right, the valuation got really extreme. And you know, you had this move, but then like the move starts happening in other names, and then before you know it, it's happening in other names, and then you see it in the semiconductor space, right? And all of a sudden, it's happening in a lot of places where the fundamentals, you know, as we call it, like if you were just to price these companies on, you know, what are they going to grow earnings this year or next, right? Everything got really bubbly really fast. Uh, it's killed the perma bears. I guess they deserve it, right? Like that whole crew. Which is funny because the perma bears are always end up being bearish about these these types of companies. And they're not like out there shorting Target, you know? Uh, or like Tyson Foods or a bunch of energy stocks or something, right? So they're all... You know, I mean, in the case of whatever, like there was the Kathy Wood, whatever kind of controversy with, the, you know, the ARK ETF last year and all that and buying high multiple stocks. But really, this hasn't even really been about high multiple stocks, right? Because a lot of big tech, you know, did get down to really, low, you know, I mean, outside of Amazon, really low multiples. And then, uh, you know, really went vertical. So, I mean, from a waiting standpoint, it's it's pretty drastic. I don't know. I feel like I'm just uh, rambling. Well, I mean, this is... Well, what I was going to get at is what... It does... I, I think what's made the, this decade so far so interesting is that there everything's happening in such a fast loop with the onset of COVID and all the restrictions and then the rebound and the fact that we were kind of towards the end of a cycle, it felt like, and entry 2020 and all this other stuff. And I think what's interesting with this AI stuff is we, 2022 was a bad year for tech and a lot of these COVID winners got nailed, the COVID hangover stuff that you had started talking about. We might've started talking about that almost before COVID really even started. Like just the, like as it was starting this idea of the boom and then, but it, there's going to be another side to it. Now, then they were already starting to rally quite a lot before the AI craze. Like even, like, I think it really, like you said, was starting to accelerate in February. And then really, I think NVIDIA and a couple other things in May maybe kicked it up a notch. But it's so yeah, we, we had the cost cutting rally in tech. Right. right? There, there, that was yeah. like, and you know, that was part of the Twilio long. That was part of a lot of the things in SaaS. It's like if you fire people, lay off people, whatever, your stock is down huge. Uh, we already know you slowed down. We're not trading you on a sales multiple like before. Uh, so if you take out a lot of costs, you know we're we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt, and we're going to look past now the slowdown uh, because we've priced that in after your shares fell eighty percent, right? And like, you know, you had that. That was like you know, end of December, beginning of January. And then like that phenomenon was going on in January into February. Then like the chat GPT stuff. And then like this, the same thing was kind of going on for big tech stocks. You know, it was like, okay, we know this price then, you know, uh, I think, you know, what we're the bottom in advertising in these things is, you know, six to nine months, they're going to cut costs. They're going to look better on the other end of it, right? Uh, in semis, there was just the inventory correction right like you know the stocks have been falling really since december 2021 in a straight line 
and you know the whole space really bottomed at the end of September, beginning of October, right? And they fell first and faster. There's been you know a lot of stocks in software that since October, November actually did make new lows, and then there's been a lot of stocks in software that totally bottomed, you know, at the end of last year or early this year, right? You know, technically, Twilio bottomed November 4th. Alaskan bottomed, you know, in that, like, uh, week right around there as well. Uh, Salesforce actually bottomed in, like, January. Uh, so it was like a spectrum. I mean, Adobe actually made a newer low in 2023, and then, you know, has obviously ripped recently. Uh, so it's been a bit, like, of a while. The, the chip space, you know, really took off, and there was, I'd say, a handful started to go lower uh, that diverged from the broader rally. Like Qualcomm recently was pretty much at a low like a week ago. <laughs> so like that actually, that's part of why I really like it here uh, from like what you're paying and margin of safety and uh, uh, like the stack of software that they have. The fact that their, their inference uh, chip is solid uh, and like what can happen at the edge for them and like, you know, their longer term provable momentum in automotive. Uh, like you're willing to discount the fact that like iPhone sales are probably not going to be that great based. I mean, like, you know, like the, there's definitely a lot of errors come out of there. And like, they kind of told you that they're stuck with inventory and we've seen it. We've seen it in the, a lot of that. Like there's been visibility. Like I follow some of the Apple supplier related suppliers in other areas. So you can see that, Apple has inventory and hasn't been ordering from them. There's been a couple that stood out uh, that I've been paying attention to for other reasons. So uh, I guess uh, we, we have had those phases and now what? Like you've, you've essentially like you're on an eight month rally in the queues. I'm completely against macro predictions on like the indexes. But we are at a point in time where I'm just like expecting the flash crash type of event in the NASDAQ, you know, kind of close to one we had on Tuesday, right? Like gap up and then like a bunch of shit went uh, immediately reversed. Uh, it just feels like everything is really overextended. Uh, from like a just a trading standpoint and just like a risk mitigation like you're just at like you're dying to buy calls that expire in five minutes you know that's the way things have been moving so uh that really like everyone's really pushing out the risk curves so and you're seeing it like it's actually rational that things are getting worse in software and this is not going to turn it around and like what's happening right now really does look like only nvidia wins you know for the near future right like it's nvidia some element of broadcom but broadcom is way too big elsewhere right so like it doesn't reverse all the headwinds in, in networking and everything else right and then like the next step down i guess is like you know maybe amd starts to win some business uh you know they're betting on it uh, they're making the progress. Of course, that would end up being not so great for NVIDIA, right? Because anything where anybody else wins business is not great for NVIDIA, right? So, uh, I think mean, that's something. I think of the example you said about um, back in the pandemic about if you're an e-commerce, if you're selling online and then somebody spies, goes to the grocery store one time, instead of zero that's an incremental loss and that's sort of what with nvidia having the share they have if they lose anything then it's it yeah because like it's just like they have such a premium on the training side right and if they lose that i mean it's like a huge over earning center mm -hmm. and more importantly it's an incentive to shift any inferencing business down the road away from them but that's really would be the next phase of this right like you actually do get to significant human usage. Like, again, like you said, you and me, like I'm sitting here now, I've got this plugin, you know, on every search I do. Uh, and it's, it's like, I don't know what the word is. It's like, 
it's gotten to the point where I barely read it anymore, but like it's, you know, one of these AI plugins. So every time I do a search, you know, up pops uh, the plugin and then there's like the let's chat if you want to use it. And this is the free version of it. So like, I, I don't really know what like human interaction is with it yet. You know, uh, and whether or not like there's like the step function from here, but I would I would guess that the answer is going to be no. Uh, uh, I think or whatever you want to call it will enter into a bit of a lull uh, period from here. Yeah, and I guess that's what it's. I, I, look, I, I, I as I said, I can be dismissive sometimes of trends, and I don't want to be here. I do think there's something underlying that is valuable that the people smart people will figure out how to get value out of this but the the market is kind of trying to as it does but it's trying to discount that so quickly and if you can't cost cut it, so it's, so you mentioned feet our favorite example of you're not a product you're a feature with dropbox um you didn't mention them but you kind of hinted at them earlier which I'm still long they did a and they're still, you know, their profitability is on a free cash flow basis. Again, you got to you got to take into account share based comp, but otherwise their profitability is pretty solid. But they just announced right before their a week before their Q1 call, I forget if the, the number was sixteen percent maybe RIF. Um, but they they did another round of layoffs and they said we're going to be hiring for AI as part of this. So okay, at least they're acknowledging, but like. You can't, you can't, the cost-cutting rally and the AI rally, until we get to the point where AI is actually taking the place of jobs, I guess, doesn't really, you can't have, both. you can't hold both of those thoughts at the same time, I think. And I guess that's where it, um, it feels like we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. It's just like, you can't. Yeah, like, I, like my dream around, like, where uh, this like if you again go back to the fact that this is essentially you know supercharging humans ability to interface with the machine right like the, if you think about the history of software okay like the first phase of it really made humans more productive right and it, it actually created more of these knowledge worker jobs and the second phase of it you know the the total digitization phase kind of ramped that up right and it created like a whole industry of creating tools, you know, around this digitization to serve the companies making the tools that empower digitization, right? Beyond just like the proliferation of it into companies that were undigitized, right? This kind of takes you to the step where it's like, okay, now the automation is so high that like, I'm like the argument that has been made by like, let's call it the thematic bowls or just like, this is going to be amazing for everything is that everybody gets superpowers. So like, you know, the person who was really, you know, a senior partner who has total command of the law, right, uh, saves, you know, an extra hour a day, right, by having tools at his disposal. But like, you know, a total idiot can look like they're, you know, much smarter, right? Which I don't necessarily know is a good thing because I do think about the interactions with people that I've had where I'm just like, all right, like this person definitely spent like 30 minutes on Wikipedia, <laughs> you know, and like it's surface level. And by the way, when you're a when you're a generalist in the market, you're often doing expert calls and doing things. And I would imagine at many times these people think like, how the fuck does this guy know all so much about this? But really, I want to be like, I I learned your lingo, right? <laughs> but I really don't understand the substance, you know, the meat below it right but i can i can get to the point where i've learned your lingo that's part of what i do for a living right and when i learned the lingo you know i know i can sit there and be like you know i can talk in the technical jargon they use and be like this is a, a, this silicon and this that and this software stack or this kernel optimization but like i don't really know what that means uh beyond like how it's being used to ex express something from an investment theme right? Like, you don't really understand the building blocks 
that let's say a software engineer would know, right? But that's not important, right? So like when you look at it in this, you're just like, all right, I mean, like part of chat GPT, et cetera, is like, okay, for freelancers, it sucks, right? But then again, like how big is that market? Like, you know, what how little how little are you paying somebody to write marketing copy? You know, <laughs> on one of these platforms, like you know, Fiverr or uh, what's it called, or Upwork or whatever. So it's not exactly a breakthrough on that level. <laughs> so when you think about it that way, you're like, the next step really needs to be where, because the interface has evolved, you know, uh, the process automation on the back married to this, let's call it artificial intelligence, right? Like that's you know, the name of the game for these LLMs. But like, you know, if I have like a sophisticated tax question or I am filing an insurance claim, right? Uh, or something related to healthcare, right? Like these things where there are humans working in the background, making the decisions and handling you know, the process, this can be automated away. And like the upside there is that like, you know, a company like United Health, you know, or MetLife or whatever, right, has margin expansion. Like the the money center banks was was what's just happened, right? Like we were having like you can ask the question of what's the need for a regional bank going forward. Well, what happens like now when like all these money center banks are sitting on, you know, all the assets and all of a sudden, like they can have just the robo advisors and virtual tellers. Like they actually have huge physical footprints, which can really be eliminated. So like, it's kind of interesting there to be like, oh, these companies are going to get way more profitable. Right. And like healthcare has anyway been slow to digitize. So like maybe like it skips a step here right along the way so like that's kind of interesting so but like it's not interesting for example if you look at a starbucks and you're like i saw for example that google is working with uh wendy's right to use like and the drive-thru yeah yeah llms in the drive-thru and you're like but really does that really lose profitability much i mean like they may get a little bit of a throughput in aggregate but like if you get that you still need another person right making the food so like you're not really saving on labor for that experience like you are incrementally i guess getting more efficient right like you don't but like what are you really eliminating because that one person who's taking those orders is actually also doing a lot like you know in terms of like going to the register doing this picking that up you know filling up a soda even that now for most places like has become self-serve. So I don't think it's going to move the needle of profitability at Starbucks or Wendy's or McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it becomes, it's going to become table stakes at whatever. Correct. That's the big thing is like an iOS update, right? Like the question is, do you get to a point? I don't know if you read the New York Times article about the lawyer who, who used chat GPT. And got it's kind it. of remarkable. I heard about it and he got it wrong. Yeah. And, and, well, I mean, uh, it just made up case, it made up cases. Yeah. And he didn't bother citing uh, referencing them. So, like, there's that type of thing. Like, are you going to be at a point where doc review, you know, by paralegals is totally eliminated? That could be very interesting for law firms. Of course, the next step is like, I was joking, like, you know, why not create uh, an AI lawyer firm? So when you show up, like, why isn't every public defender an AI lawyer at some point, right? And it's just standardized. Uh, and then, like, why isn't the judge AI <laughs> at some point? Of course, like, that would eliminate the whole political biases uh, for judicial appointments. And, like, you just have, like, a Supreme Court, you know, in every state uh that is kind of steering the way on the precedents that the uh, the AI lawyers work off of. I mean, those are like the interesting futuristic type things. But like, yeah, I mean, near term, 
It just looks like you're going to get like somewhat better interfaces. It's like, it's interesting. Maybe like in travel, like I view it as like taking what is the highly advanced filter search where you have to open it and go through, I want this, you know, nonstop this time that, you know, this, whatever. Right. And just be like, you know, I want a nonstop flight to so-and-so. Uh, and it does that immediately. So, I mean, that kind of goes back to search or, I'm traveling with three kids. Like, what are interesting places to see? And instead of spending the time on Google going through it, it just kind of pulls off like what are the top five that you know people book, and then you can just book it, you know, in one step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could definitely. I mean, Microsoft's already doing like an open table type integration with that, right? With ChatGPT, uh, ChatGPT Plus, the one you pay for, mm-hmm. where. You know, you can like you can ask it about a restaurant and then like book it directly. But I mean, again, like if you've ever done that whole thing, like the whole process of uh, finding a really nice place is that you inherently don't trust the reviews and you want multiple different uh, takes and then you make your own decision. (laughs) You weight them yourself. Right. I don't know if you saw, by the way, like uh, Little Mermaid got uh, review bombed. People just ran out, yeah. wrote a lot of chat GPT negative reviews about it. I mean, there's supposedly just like a bunch of bots that, you know, hit it. And like they, they've had to like reweight the reviews. So like, I mean, that's just like something where you're like, okay, there you go. <laughs> well, it's, that's, it's, it's not that simple. And it is where that that's like where the game is, but the SEO world has been on pins and needles since ChatGPT came out about how that might affect the whole name of the game is to get a EEAT expertise and authority and so on with Google. And now if you start churning out ChatGPT stuff that is feasibly sounds credible, but then is it real or not? And can can Google detect what's AI or not? And can you, like, it's a cat and mouse game. And then also you mentioned your chat GPT or whatever plugin on a search engine that's now taking up space that either used to be taken up by ads or by content. And so, yeah, it becomes this, like that, that is a place on the margins where the game is going to be disruptive. I think, especially for people who were reliant on, finding finding a niche that then people were looking for and would find you in Google. And it is it's another example of where, yeah, in the end, probably the bigger players do better out of it because they have that as credibility and the search engines will trust that credibility faster than an upstart. But yeah, it's uh with any technology, humans are gonna find a way to use it in good ways and bad ways. And so the review bombing is a pretty good example of that. All right. Well, any other any other thoughts at this stage or any other things to wrap uh, up? I, don't, I mean, like, I guess, you know, you can try to find, like, the losers. Or you can do some non-tech investing. Uh, so far, that hasn't worked well for me. I mean, I've been smashed on this mosaic. The commodity space has been horrible. but. Oh, Boeing's done all right. Seems like that side of the market has been really, really wrecked. And, you know, at some point, you can just kind of see it even today with the way the NASDAQ's trading, right? Like that kind of fits into the view I was articulating about like, like right when the print came out, I was like, all right, that's not good for the NASDAQ. It's good for the Dow. (laughs) You know? Uh, and like the elevated volatility on Tuesday, again on today, today like a huge move up, and it came all but almost back to flat, not bouncing again. And then there's just like, you know, never-ending run of like, oh, how Facebook gonna make a new high? So and so gonna make a new high? You know, how much higher will Netflix go? Uh, uh, you know, will Apple ever have a down day? You know, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable how that stock trade. It's impressive. So yeah, I mean, like these things, 
we don't really know much about the mechanics of the machines behind the scenes really anymore. And speaking of AI, what's the earliest place really of AI that's been in trading, right? Like they don't need to understand a human. They just need to be able to learn from, you know, the trades and the data set. And uh, they navigate it that way. So I don't know. You kind of just look at this market and you're like, I don't know what you want to call it, like a flash crash or not. But like, it just feels like this is just going to be one day where uh, things really reverse drastically because things have gotten really lopsided, right? Like when you believe that everything else is going up, uh, when you believe that big tech and uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, semis are moving in a manner that it's hurting other sectors, right? To the level that like it's become pronounced and visible, you know? Or like Target goes down 11 straight days, even with the things that some of these companies are dealing with on like the, you know, the woke shit and whatever. On the, 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 but like just the way they trade daily, right? Well, uh, the I fact mean, that like the flows are so. Go ahead. Well, the QQQ IWM is sort of a, I'm not the first to call that out, but QQQ is up 33% year to date. And IWM is up two point five percent, and it's just yeah. Of... I mean, when when you get the when you get the wild divergences, like you know, when they start, you should technically you should lean into them. That's the way technical traders function, right? Like something breaks that way, and then like that, that's what pushes it to the bands, and then there is, you know, uh, the reversion that occurs once it gets way too extreme, and if something like AI comes along as it has and like it pushes it even further and really fast, right? Then like, you're just kind of like, all right, there's going to be one day here that's really messy, you know? And uh, there won't, it, like, it, it's not going to be tied to earnings or anything really. It's just going to be like a trigger on the fact that uh, you, the, the spread has widened so drastically that something, particularly with the machines who do this, will trigger them to flip sides. Well, and that's, and it just like, as you, you dig into that, what I just said a little bit, and it's a lot of the, from the bank crisis, which was the, the market meme for March and part of April. And who's thinking about that, that anymore? It seems like. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a good point. Like it's literally been forgotten. Remember? I mean, it, it's just, it, everyone's just like, this is going to be, Remember Ackman going crazy about it and everything else, and now everyone's just like, "Can I make another fifty percent in Nvidia?" Uh, yeah, meanwhile Ackman is Ackman's involvement in the banks is to push Jamie Dimon for for president. Yeah. I think Dimon would be a good uh, middle of the road. I mean, a lot of people think he's unelectable, uh, but he's definitely more well spoken and presentable from a media standpoint than Bloomberg was, right? Yeah. Bloomberg was never really in the public eye enough, uh, even with his previous position on a national level. Jimmy has been. Yeah. No, I so, mean, you could see... I think, it, you know, for it, those are like, he's on... For those, are, for those are like, he's unelectable. I think you'd be surprised, like, how many, uh, let's call it, uh, uh, moderate liberals would vote for Jamie Dimon and how many uh, very moderate Republicans would vote for Jamie Dimon over these two other buffoons. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Democrats just don't really have a candidate. I, I mean, I don't know why Biden would want to be president again or whatever. Uh, just like kind of like a place card holder at this point with like the way he's, I mean, he's like a conservative Democrat who's really just become, uh, you know, the the place card holder for the far left position. You know? Like that's where the Democratic Party seems to have gone, uh, even though he's not far a far left Democrat historically, entire his entire life. And people once they get over seventy, you know, don't change, right? right. So like, I don't think his views on anything have changed it's just like it's politics that's all it is so when you when you view it within that prism 
you're just like, yeah, diamond's very electable. But like, what would he run at? Yeah, that's well, and I think I saw somebody said somewhere on Twitter in the last day or two, diamond said something like he wants to be president, but not to run for president. And that's well, it's a big part of well, that. Well, I mean, if you, if you, like, if you wanted to make him president, then like, I would suggest you run as a Democrat, you know, mm. uh, because like he's he would get a lot of votes that don't want to go to Biden uh, because like he's just going to rubber stamp that agenda. So, I mean, and just the, the view would be that he wouldn't, uh, you know, if he was democratically elected, he would be, let's call it uh, fiscally conservative. Uh, pro-business and there's no really pro-business fiscally conservative democrat out there these days yeah it was, it's just yeah it's just not where the party is so right. well yeah oh, all right that's, well that's we, have, the... we have 15 more months to live through that and maybe by then maybe by then chat gpt will be ready to take over ai presidency well i mean that's, it looks like a better future for it than the law. It should be disbarred with what it did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's learning. It's still. Its models are yeah. still learning. Yeah. That lawyer is hilarious because, like, that's the definition of like why humans. This is so bad. Is that like they're so lazy? He used it, and then like he didn't spend five minutes. Literally, it's five minutes just to pull the sure cases they gave him. And make sure, like, just glance at them, you know, like it's a new technology, and he didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very exciting new technology. That's that's part of it. Yeah, cool. fucking hilarious. So, all right, dude. All right, good it's stuff, Akram. Pleasure as always. For sure. Thank you for listening to the Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Sokel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.